1: It's roundtable, so Will Raggett's of Sports Illustrated will lead our discussion. Arif Hassan of the Athletic also here, and we are going to talk about everyone's favorite subject. I know you've been saying, "Why hasn't there been more offensive line talk?" Where's the offensive line talk? Endless emails saying, "Please, the right guard competition." My gosh! So we have got everything you need. Every discussion regarding the right guard and the offensive line will be had here on this show. So Will. You've spoken with the football gods, and they have advised you of the direction of this conversation regarding the offensive line. Where would you like us to begin on the Raggets roundtable?
2: Well, first, I would just like to say that uh, nothing I would rather be doing in the middle of July than talking some Vikings offensive line with you two guys. So excited about that. I think we should hold off for just a second on the right guard position, because that is going to be kind of naturally where we discuss the most because it's the one spot that doesn't have a clear-cut starter. But I think we should kind of set the context for the entire offensive line. This is what the football gods were telling me. Ease into it. So I want to start. We'll start all the way on the left. And is Christian Derrissaw, the Vikings' first-round pick last year, I think there's kind of an assumption from some fans. I probably made this assumption that, like, Christian Derrissaw is just going to be really good this year because he was a first-round pick and he showed flashes as a rookie, and he got better over the course of his rookie season. I think just looking at the the tape, I think the PFF numbers back this up as well for what those are worth. Uh, that he kind of improved throughout the year, and, and he showed a lot uh, as a as a run blocker and creating holes and up front in the second level as well, and uh, improved in his pass protection. So my question is, and I don't either one of you can can jump on this right away. Is is that a fair assumption that Christian Darius' progression is just going to be linear, and are there any concerns maybe that he might not actually be a very good left tackle right away in his second season
1: Mm, all the way to the left seems like an a reef place to start go ahead i
0: don't know what you mean by that i don't know it feels right for someone to say uh no um I, i think uh i i did want to start this one out because i think that if anyone was going to let the pessimist case it would be me Um, I, the way that, uh, we, we tend to talk about, you know, rookies entering their second year tends to be universally optimistic regardless of fan base. Uh, and obviously we know that that's not the case, you know, players that we've seen play for eight games or 10 games, uh, their rookie season, um, might have peaked their rookie year. I mean, you know, Matt Khalil nearly peaked his rookie year. I mean, we know left tackles specifically, you know, have done that. Uh, and, and so, uh, when you take a look at stuff like, well, you know, he improved over time, that really feels like that that's something, you know, people have studied this. They've looked at, you know, Hey, if somebody, uh, especially a young player improves at the end of the season, does that, it, does that improvement carry over into the next season? Is that a better tell that they will be a good player the next year than if their performance was kind of random throughout the season, if maybe their best game throughout the beginning instead of the end, uh, and, and the evidence suggests that it's not actually that if you uh, have your best games at the end of the year, if your if your best games are your final four games of the season, that actually doesn't give us any more information than if your best games are randomly dispersed at the season or at the beginning of the season. Uh, and so it's very easy to be kind of caught up into these uh, you know, very easy to write stories about how this player's improved over time, how, hey, they didn't really have a real offseason because they were injured all year. And now that we get to have an entire actual offseason for them, they'll be able to settle into the position, get adjusted to NFL speed. All of that sounds true and is appealing. And maybe it actually does play a pretty big role, but there's so many other factors here that might overwhelm it. That uh, that might not give us enough information to say that this player uh, might be good or might not be good. Uh, and so the information that we have on Christian Derrissaw is actually very small. Uh, and, the, and the amount of, of good games that we've seen from him, while encouraging, is also not, you know, dispositive that he's going to be even an upgrade over Riley Reef, much less, uh, you know, somebody who's going to be like a genuinely good player. So in terms of laying out what the pessimist case is for, you know, not being optimistic about Christian Derrissa, I think there's a lot there, but I will say, you know, players who play well, the rookie are more, more much more likely to succeed than players who don't play well, the rookie year, <laughs> like there is also kind of the, that bare fact, right. That, um, and I I think most people kind of agree that Christian Derisaw, um, I would say largely played well his rookie year. I think that if you ask, you know, technical experts, you know, people like offensive line coaches or consultants, people who break down film for a living, they were fairly impressed with Christian Derisaw. So, uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a case. I'm just saying if I wanted to make the pessimist case that we shouldn't be as optimistic about Derisaw, it is pretty
1: easy. Well, I'll take a shot at the other one then, um, on Christian Derisaw because, Well, one, here's where I start at the skill set. So if you don't have a lot of information to go on statistically for small samples, we know he wasn't a disaster. So we start there. Uh, If he had been a disaster, it'd be much more concerning. But if we just begin there and we look at the skills, we look at the size of this mammoth human being, the way that he moves. The way that he recovered from some mistakes last year that actually might get downgraded a little bit by PFF, but you don't give up a sack because you're able to use your recovery skills and freakish athleticism to be able to recover from that. We've seen that a lot throughout his career with Brian O'Neill, where he wasn't always graded the best, but he gave up no sacks, which kind of tells you kind of, you know, that he was able to recover from mistakes. So as Darisaw grows, I think that that's a benefit for him. The only concern for me really is the health. Because when somebody comes into the league with multiple surgeries, you immediately go, wait, hey, Oh, uh, because if he stays healthy for the entire year, then we will have a really big sample and we will have an idea of what he can be. But if it's a stop and start and stop and start, I think that's incredibly hard for players to make progress. And The offensive line is like this and and cornerback, I think, are the ultimate progress development positions where you have to continue to improve until like age. I think linemen peak at like age 27 or their fourth or fifth year is when they really start to come into their own because it's just growing and getting more and more reps against the freakish uh, defensive ends of the league. So if he's playing eight games or nine games, and then you're having to put Oliudo in there, like that could be majorly problematic. That would concern me a bit. But as far as his skills go, I think there's a lot more reason to think that those skills can translate to being an excellent player than they can be to someone who's just going to suddenly collapse.
2: Yeah, I would take kind of the middle between the two of you and say, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about The The progress thing over the course of his rookie year might not mean much, but it's it's like like you said, Matt, it's the, the skill set and how he kind of, he came into the league with a lot of draft pedigree. Like this wasn't some third round pick. Like you could compare it to say Cameron Dansler, who had, had some moments as a rookie, different position, obviously, but he had some moments as a rookie. And then a lot of people were probably saying, hey, this year two could be big for him. And he was mostly the same player, maybe slightly better, uh, but that's still a, a third round pick. And that draft pedigree and just kind of the, the bare like skills that you have, the athleticism that still matters in, in projecting not just a rookie year, but going forward into somebody's career. So there's, I think just film wise, like he had some issues with his sets early in the year and and kind of cleaned that up, I thought. Um, And it'll just be interesting to see like how he looks early in this season. Uh, Is there still going to be some of the technical stuff with his pass protection that needs to be worked on? Vikings have a new offensive line coach, Chris Cooper, uh, former player with the Broncos. I don't know how that'll all factor. And I thought Phil Rauscher was pretty good as well. But um, yeah, I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic about Darius. I think I would caution people from thinking that he's going to be this like for, for sure pro bowl caliber left tackle just because he's coming into his second season and look pretty good. But um, I, I think there's a case to be made on both sides. You can make the optimistic case for sure that he has all of the tools that if he stays healthy, he's, he can be on that Brian O'Neill trajectory. Uh, I don't know if there's anything we really need to talk about with Brian O'Neill. Like, I don't. Can you even make a pessimistic case for Brian O'Neill at this point? I don't. I don't think he's necessarily a top five right tackle, but he's in that conversation with just the consistency that he's shown, not giving up sacks, uh, and then the run blocking has just improved so much. Uh, and, and he came in with that athletic skill set, but now it seems like he really understands the angles and um, the the zone blocking has kind of become. This thing that he's almost mastered, and uh, watching him get out in space against uh, the Ravens last year, Dalvin Cook had like a 66-yard run, and Brian O'Neill like blocked two guys at the line of scrimmage and then ran all the way down the field with Dalvin Cook. Like, just he's he's a very very special player in my eyes. I don't I don't know if there's any real pessimistic argument that even a reef could make here.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make pessimistic, but I I want to throw this out to a reef uh, since you are X's and OZ about this. Sure, it felt to me like. The Vikings would talk about every year, like, yeah, we really want to get them moving. We want to pull them more. We want to use them on screens more. And then, like, early in the season, when they had practiced it throughout camp and things like that, they would do it a couple times. And we'd be like, on the watching the all 22 and be like, whoa, look at this, everybody. Like, look what they're doing. And then it would sort of go away. And I just think that as far as things they've left on the table, it was like using any other running back not named Delvin, Cordero Patterson uh maybe blitzing Anthony Barr more like things that we've always accused them of leaving on the table this is another one that doesn't get brought up a lot but I almost feel like using the absolute freakishness I mean Trent Williams going in motion last year like will we yeah. see Brian O'Neill like really using that no surprise Shanahan would come up with it I felt like it wasn't quite used enough
0: all right so I'll say uh, this about the potential to make a pessimistic case about Brian O'Neill and, and also the um inability to kind of fully utilize his skill set um o'neal has still not achieved his peaks like his peak season was probably a second or third year in the nfl and he has not hit those heights yet and so one could make the argument kind of that uh i, I guess he's kind of declining right which is kind of a silly argument to make for like was he 28 27 um but um, it, I, I, w- I would think that maybe the best way that you could characterize a pessimistic argument about Brian O'Neill is that he's plateaued, that he's not going to get better, that he is not going to be a top two, top three right tackle, uh, but that's what you're paying him as, right? Uh, and so th- from there, you, you're making the argument that you're not getting his money, your, your money is worth out of him. And then also, it's kind of difficult to utilize him. Also, I would argue that the way that the, the quote unquote new scheme, uh, you know, run blocking for the, uh, for the Vikings, for most players, most of the time, it's going to be very similar to what they did last year. But for the tackles, it's going to be a little bit different in terms of what their aiming point is, what they do with their hands and their feet and the way that they adjust. And and obviously the running back has to kind of adjust to that fact as well. Um, That fact, you know, might give you a little bit of pause about kind of what his strengths and weaknesses are and how that lines up with what his role is, because pure athleticism is a little bit less important in the way that his role changes. Uh, And that is still his greatest strength. Like he's improved technically. He's gotten a lot stronger, I think, since he's entered the NFL, which is really great. But his strength is still his pure movement capability. Uh, and and this kind of inhibits that and inhibits his ability to be an effective run blocker from the perspective of kind of utilizing everything that he does well versus kind of emphasizing the stuff that's not quite as big a strength for him. And so uh, there are elements here where you can say, you know, this might not be a situation where he's going to be completely... You know, comfortable, uh, comfortable is maybe the wrong word, but completely utilized in a way that really maximizes what he does. And we've already seen his peak, which means that if we're moving away from what he does the best, we're moving away a little bit from his opportunities to be kind of a top three, top four uh, right tackle that the Vikings are paying him to be. Uh, and so that would be, I guess, kind of the concern. I think on top of that, you know, if, if the coaches kind of mess with the dropbacks or the timing of the offense, you know, Brian O'Neill is always like you mentioned, for example, that his recovery capability, which is both a product of his awareness and his athleticism, you know, has been a really big part of why he's been an effective right tackle. If they change what Kirk Cousins does, right? Then his recovery capability may matter less if he's holding onto the ball longer, for example, on non-play uh, play action dropbacks. That could be a problem uh, in terms of the ways that Brian O'Neill can can help protect the pocket. If they change where the depth is for Cousins, it might take a couple of games for O'Neill to kind of adjust to where he needs to be. You know, stuff like that can really implicate his his ability to be an effective guy. But there's only so many things I can say that you know undercut. The, I mean, he's clearly a top ten right tackle. Mm-hmm better than a top 10 right tackle uh the question is kind of where on that list he lands um which i guess i don't know we can rely on you know fowler from espn to tell us right but yeah. <laughs> um, but uh you know for the most part you know he's a very good player really the question is is he going to be overpaid I mean, generally speaking i'd say no technically i guess maybe yes but you know there are areas where you can ask some questions about whether or not he's going to be maximized mm, why don't you hate on ice cream now arif <laughs> Well hey, inter- <laughs> most people are lactose intolerant, they don't even know it. No, so they
1: what really? Yeah. Is that like more the, common than people realize? Yeah. Hmm.
2: The interesting thing about O'Neal, I'll say, is like rip ice cream. It, if you were if you were a fan of a team, like let's say the Cowboys or, or the 49ers, I don't know. Some team that has had a lot of really good offensive linemen and like has been a competent offensive line as a unit for most of its history, if not a good one. Like Brian O'Neill is just like another solid right tackle, a good second round pick, but because he's on the Vikings and oh, this, he's gold. the offensive line has been such a <laughs> massive issue since like 2009. They had a pretty good offensive line, right? Like Brian O'Neill is just this savior, this amazing like franchise. And maybe he's been anointed like as elite too, like prematurely because of the, the context of bit, Vikings yeah. fans, just wanting good offensive lineman and he's a good to great i think he's a great offensive lineman but i don't know if he's quite in that like elite tier yet and maybe he can get there maybe this is just what he's going to be and that's still a very valuable and a very appreciated player now on a big contract compared to a rookie deal but but still i mean i just i just wonder how the context kind of factors into how we perceive brian o'neill
1: no i like i, I like, like him a ton role. i just yeah. to tell you the truth. Like I really do. I, I, mean, I think that as far as like ranking players, it's, you know, I'm sure that there are other guys who you know, PFF might rank slightly higher or whatever, but I think that like who he is also matters to this, that taking on that leadership role of the offensive line, growing into a veteran player who really brings a lot of like nastiness and toughness. And you kind of wish you could just copy and paste that to a lot of the other linemen they've had. And I do think that that ability, to not allow sacks. I know that there's flaws and sacks are a quarterback stat more than they are an offensive line stat a lot of times, but when over a long period of time. It's like Luis Ariza in baseball. This is perfect for you, Arif where like when a guy like batting average can fluctuate a lot. So it was always considered a flawed stat. Some guy hits 340 over and over and over and over again. You're like, there's something to that. I think that's the same thing with Brian O'Neill. So we don't have to spend much more time talking about him because we're all kind of, on the same page, hey, he's good. Uh, But I just thought those were throwing out that I think there's something to that, having, like, knowing who your leader, your clear-cut guy on the offensive line is, and that's him.
2: Yeah, so I, before we get to the, the the right guard spot, and then the center is the other that like there's a lot of debate and discussion and potential weakness.
1: We need to uh, make I a ref learn. That's I, what I, I I concern.
2: Is. is a better word. There's no there's no other really much center say. on the yeah. roster. Yeah. But um, let's let's talk about Ezra Cleveland quick because the Vikings have drafted a bunch of tackles in in the late years of Rick Spielman, including, Ezra, including Cleveland, Ezra Cleveland, who was a tackle in college. <laughs> Oli is was second call. Then they've just made these tackles guards. And sometimes it has not gone well, somewhat unsurprisingly. Oli Udo last year started like every game, and he had a couple early flashes, and mostly it was not very good. Ezra Cleveland has sort of been a success story. I mean, I don't think you can call it that yet, but you can see the potential for it to work. You can see what their vision was when they took this really, really athletic like Brian O'Neill, Garrett Bradbury level athletic guy from Boise State and made him a guard. And I also don't know exactly if they had a plan right away, because they first they made him a right guard and then they moved him over to the other side. And always they're just always moving these pieces around. But Ezra Cleveland has, it seems to me, has the ability to become a above-average guard just with his athleticism, with his skill set. I mean, people talk about like the offensive line coaches talk about how it happens so much faster on the interior versus wh- how the speed of, of your contact when you're playing tackle. And I think he's kind of adjusted to that and, and sort of figured that out and hasn't made like a bunch of glaring whiffs uh, when he's trying to like make the, the initial point of attack. And then when he, he's a great asset as a puller uh, in the ground game, which like a bunch of big Dalvin cook runs last year were sprung because Ezra Cleveland coming around the, the offensive line and and getting into the second level and, and making plays in space. But um, I guess, Arif, where do you think that Ezra Cleveland needs to continue to to grow? Because the coaching staff has said, and I think Quasey said this, like they're high on Ezra Cleveland. They think year three, talk about year two jumps. Year three is another big one um, where he could take a step. Where do, where does he need to kind of continue to improve? And what's your outlook on him? Please
0: don't be completely pessimistic, but you can. Well, you you asked me to be pessimistic for the last two. Like, you're right. You're right. Clear. That that I'm is mad. true.
2: Now <laughs> I'm just now I'm just curious what your opinion yeah. is either way.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think I think the framing it like Ezra Cleveland has the potential to be an above average guard, I think is the best way to put it because I don't think he's there yet, but I think that if you were to map out a trajectory, I think that that might be the most likely outcome. I really like him um and and to be clear i think the vikings got lucky i think that you're right that they didn't have a plan for him i think that they were very much like oh yeah you just draft the best players and kind of just put your best five on the field which is like a very kind of rosy simplistic that's just not how the world works kind of like you needed a guard and you got lucky right that this guy turns out can play guard maybe only on the left side which is not where you plan to play him so you got lucky right the vikings got lucky here um, and, and, and this is not like when other teams draft tackles to be guard. I mean, it's very common practice, right? Like, this was not a Brandon Sheriff situation. Right. This was very much like, yeah, we there, we ran out of guards to draft and we needed an offensive lineman. So we drafted Ezra Cleveland. It turned out to be pretty good. Um, so that said, you know, moving him to the left side was good. I'm, I'm glad that he's got you know, time to kind of readjust back to the left side like he played in college. You know, you talk to offensive linemen, they'll say the transition left right is actually harder than the transition outside inside. Uh, And so I think Ezra Cleveland is a really good example of that because he really struggled on the right side Uh, in terms of what he needs to do to be better to kind of hit that trajectory and be an above average left guard, which, you know, he's still he's not there yet. He still needs to be there. I think it's really just a, a matter of consistency, which is true for every offensive lineman. But like in terms of how often he makes mistakes that seem uncharacteristic of the rest of his play. Um, because when he gets beat, it's not for, it's usually not for a reason that is for a trait that he's lacking, right? Like he has added strength and he has, I would say, he's not overwhelming in terms of strength. He's not quite Nelson, but he has, I, I think, functional strength as a guard, which is, I would say, a weakness of his coming out of college. And uh that is generally not the reason that he is always beat. Rather, he just he just there's a different reason basically every time that in the past has not been a consistent problem for him. So he loses to a particular type of finesse move that in previous games or previous snaps he wasn't losing to or he loses to um, a, a particular type of power move because he set wrong. But he doesn't usually set wrong. Right. And so uh, what, what he doesn't have the established patterns and consistency to play the same from play to play to play to play. And if he did, maybe he gets beats the same way. Um, like most offensive linemen, when they lose, they lose because of a trait that they lack. That's not really him. It's just that consistency. And I think it might be a product of not having ingrained habits as a guard that he might now be entering, uh, you know, this season with that allows him to be more consistent. I hope that made sense.
1: It's funny uh, though, that, uh, one, one thing that coaches will say when they can't stand a player is, well, you know, he just needs reps. But like in this case, it's actually true. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you just need to be consistent out there. And uh, I don't know. I Here's some more words about this player that we're never going to play. Um, but that's those things actually ring true for Ezra Cleveland. Also, one thing that came to mind when you guys were talking about him is just that, you know, there, there was a book about some analytics guys who are given control of a triple A baseball team or whatever it was minor league baseball team. And it's called <laughs> There's One Rule It Has to Work. It's like that's Ezra Cleveland. Like, there's one rule. There's one thing to talk about with Ezra Cleveland. It has to work because if it doesn't work, the weakness at center, the likely projection that right guard, which I just can't wait to talk about, is it's not going to be special. There's We're like hyping up this right guard. Right, thing, yeah. Right? Oh man, it's going to be unreal. Stay <laughs> tuned. Uh, but uh, no, but like if if last year Ezra Cleveland his overall numbers are not great. Like he has a below average PFF pass blocking grade. His run blocking is okay, which puts him overall in the middle. But if you, but the pass blocking is way more valuable. And that was a struggle at times. And if he does not do the things that you laid out and, you know, really master all those skills consistently to maximize his physical talent. And he grades a 55 in pass blocking grade. This ain't better. Like the offensive line, the offensive line is not better. And probably the offense will struggle to be better If he's not better, because there are going to be weaknesses at center and right guard. One of these positions has to be pretty much like a lot better than it was last year because the tackles we project should be pretty well uh, or should do pretty well this year in Derrissaw and O'Neal. So you need Ezra Cleveland to take this big jump. And if he does, which I think is totally plausible based on his physical skill, if he does, then the left side of your line is pretty awesome and the right side can be decent and the center will still absolutely get a jersey. I mean, but other than that, like you can make up maybe for one guy, but in these recent years, it's like you can't make up for three guys being a problem. And that's where they've ended up, especially with a quarterback who doesn't Mm -hmm. usually get his pressure from the tackles. He usually gets the pressure interior, even when his tackles uh, aren't good, like historically, because he doesn't move. So I I think that Cleveland actually is a swing player for this entire offense. You agree, Will?
2: I do agree. And I think like, Cleveland is part of the reason why you can make either an optimistic or a pessimistic projection of the offensive line as a whole. And the optimistic view is like, all right, we're just, we're assuming, like, this is what we talked about with Derrissaw, that like he's just going to be continue improving in a kind of linear fashion and that's going to be an asset. And I think there's some uh, some similar level of assumption with Cleveland on the left side, just that that left side is not really going to be an issue. So if, if center and right guard can get figured out, then, oh, look, Vikings have a really good offensive line no weak links I mean Garrett Bradbury is going to still be the weak link to some extent most likely but uh I don't that that's just not something that you can necessarily completely bank on both with Dara and then also with Cleveland even more so I think because he wasn't a first round pick he wasn't drafted to play the position that he's drafting or the, to play the position that he's playing uh and it's interesting if you go back and look at that that 2020 draft like the vikings could have taken a guard like damian lewis or who's in seattle or jonah jackson who ended up with the lions and is now pretty solid like i would feel better about the outlook if they had done that at the time but at the time they were like all right we need a tackle to replace reef and maybe he'll be it and then they never really tried him at tackle and then they just kind of accepted he was a guard and they draft deris on um and now we're here so
1: I'm shocked they team. made strange decisions and mistakes.
2: I yeah, shocked that they made <laughs> We're uh, know, questionable the made. decisions in the offensive line, for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, Very but, yeah, it's just – Cleveland. I, I agree with that assessment for sure, that I think Cleveland could be kind of a, a swing piece on this offensive line. I personally think he can be pretty good, uh, and I think – I don't know how much truth there is to it, but having the consistency of the guy to your left and your right, he's going to have Daris out to his left – uh, for better or worse, he's going to have Garrett Bradbury to his right. Like he's, I don't think he's had a. Se- this is just his third season, but he's going to have the same two guys coming into a season for the first time. So that could be an asset. We'll see. Um, as for that guy to his right, Garrett Bradbury, like it was, it's just interesting to me that the Vikings' new regime has kind of accepted that Garrett Bradbury is the center. Like in on a smaller scale, in a similar way to the way that they just accepted that. Kirk Cousins was going to be their quarterback. Like, it's just this interesting guy with this polarizing player who has struggled a lot. And uh, they're just they're just fine with him at center for some reason. And th- there's J.C. Treder is still sitting out there. I don't know if there's injury concerns there or whatever. But they, they had other avenues to potentially upgrade at that position. And they just kind of chose not to. And they've sung his praises. And Kevin O'Connell seems to think that changing the, the system ever so slightly and his responsibilities could help. And I just... I don't see it like I don't see how a guy who's been basically dead last every year of his career in in pass blocking grade is going to be anything other than a big problem. So I, Arif, can you can you talk me out of that or are you gonna are you do you agree (laughs) with me on that?
0: Um, So I'll say this about JC Treder. Uh, I know that uh, billion dollar organizations don't love bringing in union presidents to run important parts of their organization. Uh, So I'll say that. The second thing, uh, which, you know, that can't be proven, that would, you know, open the Vikings up to legal liability. So, you know, I can't (laughs) say that. But, um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll say this about Garrett Bradbury. Um, You have to make choices like you can't fix every problem in one offseason. And they decided that center was the one that they could kind of absorb the biggest hit. Uh, in terms of you know their inability to make moves, and to some extent, you know that actually makes sense because the stuff um, that you can test for in terms of telling how important a position is um, tells us that at least in terms of on-field uh, you know gradable capability, that centers kind of matter the least. You know it's kind of hard to believe, you know as Vikings fans watching, you know the center give up pressure after pressure and kind of inhibit the offense, but also that offense has been like top ten over the past two years. So like how much could it matter, right? Um, and, and in terms of the stuff that those metrics can't capture in terms of like, you know, the center being able to identify blitzes and having awareness and communicating with the rest of the offensive line and the quarterback. And from my understanding, Garrett Bradbury is actually pretty good at that stuff. And so you can kind of throw that out of the window when you're taking a look at how much on-field performance matters to the function of an entire offense. And that one analytically matters a little bit less than say left guard or wide receiver or running back even. Uh, and so th- to that extent, I can kind of understand why they made that choice, but it is infuriating to kind of see them struggle at center for so long and not be aggressive about fixing that position. I'm very sympathetic to that view just because it is very frustrating to keep on watching that happening. Um, I think for Bradbury, it is particularly frustrating because he had two really good games this year, right? after he came back from being bench and he talked about, you know how, being benched kind of changed his perspective, which it, that's concerning on its own. But uh, being benched changed his perspective and how you know it allowed him to throw himself back into his work. And then he had these really great games. And, and like, oh, what that, what what a story that would be for him to be able to turn that around and turn that into you know he's actually a pretty good center, even an average center would be a fan given where he's starting from. And you know by the end of the season that had kind of petered out, right? And so um, you know your hope is that. He takes a look at those two games, saw what worked for him and try to build on that in a way that you can't during an during a regular season, right? That you don't have the time to implement. But during an off season, you've got the capability of taking a look at what habits worked, what didn't and using that kind of refresh that mindset to be able to change what you do. But I think that that is a Narrow set of outcomes. I, I think that that is an unlikely opportunity for the Vikings to improve. And here, I think they just kind of have to, you know, weather the storm. I'm, you know, these not going to be here next year unless I'm wrong about this, which would be fantastic. um And I'm going to miss, you know, him going out on screens and just absolutely decking some poor cornerback. He's really good at that. Doesn't matter that much, but he's good with good
2: his good ball at... in the ball with the ball in his hands. After yeah, he's really done. good with
0: the ball <laughs> in his hands. Yeah, yeah, come on, one, the one
2: actual more, fun moment more career Lambo catches
0: game. here than Laquan Treadwell don't look
1: that up I don't know if that's true that I don't think it is <laughs> no it is no it, <laughs> it is. is okay I mean in, is, uh, Laquan is a rookie I mean right yeah yeah that's <laughs> what you meant you didn't mean like Laquan tro- total but like yeah he, but like uh, Laquan is a rookie had one and Bradbury and has, has like three four
0: right yeah yeah
1: well if I four,
2: saw the stat that he, he had, had three, like a right? basically the same amount of yards after the catch last year as Nikhil Harry former amazing
0: okay well yeah you had like the 30-yard catch right yeah so (laughs) so so yeah i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna miss some of the highlights but you know ideally the vikings will have figured out a solution at center next year but here i think it's just like hey we had to make some choices we decided that you know uh zadarius smith was more important than than you know fixing the center thing
1: yeah do you agree with
2: that approach matt
1: Uh no, (laughs) not not really at all. Uh so the well the thing about that is that replacement level centers, and I mean someone who could be 20th in the league in pass blocking, are not hard to find and they're not expensive. Mason Cole. Uh, Yeah, right. I mean, the center is the lowest paid position in the league that's not kicker, punter, or long snapper, and they're kind of all over the place. Like Joe Berger was a really good center for this team. For a year or two, and they paid him one million dollars for that year to be a very good center in uh, 2016. And then he turned out to be a decent right guard too. But he was like a very quality center. He had been around in the league, finally got a chance to be a starter, and was quality. I mean, they're not hard to find. They don't cost a lot of money, and the Vikings could have made money in their cap, I believe, by cutting Garrett Bradbury and just moving on. And so, uh, if they were in a position where everything was about eval everything was about deciding what you have for the future then keeping Garrett Bradbury would have made a lot of sense to me but it's not it's about winning games it's about having a better offense than you had last year and yes they've had a decent offense it would have been better if Kirk hadn't been sacked up the middle by anyone who wanted to like I mean that that's where that's where the guy the guy that was best at it now wears purple Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. Zadarius Smith. Uh, but, but that's where I stumble on this decision. And so to me, it's like there are certain players who, if you scheme them correctly, you're going to get more out of them. Cordero Patterson is a great guy to bring up for something like this. But I cannot scheme a reef to be good on my basketball team. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> He's tiny. He has no idea how to shoot. And he doesn't understand the rules. Like, it's just not going to work. <laughs> it's just like... And and so with this, there's a physical issue that holds this man back from being a pass blocker. It's not like, oh, well, he's DJ Fluker and he's nine feet tall. And if it was only just his technique, it's not something you could teach him. It's not something you could scheme third down and eight. What's happening? They're rushing over the middle. They're creating pressure and that's a problem. And then Kirk checks down to CJ Ham. It's like, why would you? want to go back to that is my thing. And to me, it's, it sort of screams out. I don't know if you guys agree with this. This might be like conspiracy theory a little bit. It screams out though, that there was a lot of people in the organization, scouts and everything else who were holdovers from the previous. It's not like they fired everybody who in their meeting said, no, we have to give him one more chance because he was our first round pick. And we love X, Y, and Z. That's kind of what it feels like because there's no other evidence to say that this is a good idea.
2: If you, if you, that previous regime isn't here anymore.
1: Well, the the scouts
0: are right. Like, that's 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 Matthew's point, right? Is that, um, you've everybody who does the, the front office stuff, only the top changed and only the very top changed. Um, if you list Garrett Bradbury's traits from a technique perspective on a piece of paper, he very much looks like a salvageable player. So I can, I can see why you can sell a new regime on that. The problem, of course, is you know, as soon as you, put the results on a spreadsheet it looks like the exact opposite so you know there's only so much that can take you
2: yeah I and mean, this is like i think the third straight off season where we've seen some sort of headlines like oh garrett is bulking up this offseason he's gonna add some mass and it just at some point like you physically can't like your frame is incapable of adding that unless you want to like lose a bunch of athleticism which is not a good idea so yeah well let's but we could talk about bradbury for a while probably but We've, we've hyped up this this right guard talk, so let's get to it. The Vikings have an open right guard competition, and this year is a little bit more – you can talk yourself into a good, like, victor emerging more so than you could when it was Dakota Dozier against Ole Udo. Uh, and that was like, oh, maybe one of them will be not horrible. Like, I think you could talk yourself into a, a true competition, the winner of Chris Reed, Jesse Davis, and Ed Ingram – Like by the nature of them winning that they're probably not terrible and they might even be decent. You've got Davis who is a, like he's played tackle. He's played all over. He was really bad at tackle for the dolphins. So basically the whole dolphins fan base kind of hated him and was like, why would the Vikings pick him up? But he's been a little bit better when he's been playing inside at guard. So I, I think that's the only plan that the Vikings have for him with that signing. Chris Reed, was with the Colts and actually like played fairly well when he had to step in. I think Quentin Nelson got hurt last year and Reed stepped in the Minnesota state guy uh, for, for the right. locals out there for the, the Mankato people. But um, and then they draft Ed Ingram in the second round who like as a second round pick coming in against two fairly, fairly lowly paid free agents, like that could give him uh, somewhat of an advantage with the investment that this Um, this front office made into him, but there's also a lot of questions with him about that maybe being a reach. And um, there's the whole off field stuff that made that pick a little bit interesting and maybe concerning, but um, just from a football perspective, like how do we, how do we shake this out? Is, is there, do you have somebody a reef that you are going to go into camp, like expecting to win this, or is it just kind of, Hey, these three are all here. Let's, let's see what happens.
0: Wyatt Davis no, I, why? I didn't even mention
2: Wyatt Davis. You're right.
1: Yeah, that's for a reason. And, and neither did they.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. They that's were. That's why they brought in, That's why they brought in three guards.
1: Right. right yeah. Uh,
0: it's 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 big rips to Wyatt Davis. Um, no, I I, I expect uh, Jesse Davis to win that competition. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Ed Ingram won it, and I don't really think Chris Reed has that great of a shot just because of how much they used him in in the you know the OTAs and you know the pre-training camp rotation there um so i i expected primarily to be doing those two um neither one would shock me but you know if i'm going to put a name to it i would say it's probably jesse davis i think that you're right that you know he was better as a guard in miami than he was as a tackle and he got moved around a ton because he could play all four positions um you know excluding center and hey maybe, maybe the vikings should explore the center idea but um i i don't want to oversell that fact right like he was a bad tackle he was a below average guard i mean he was better at guard than he was a tackle uh, and, and certainly Miami really valued having him. And he was there for five years for a reason, but eh, right. There's the, like, he was, he was better than only Udo was. Right. And so you're, you're almost certainly going to, whoever emerges, you're almost certainly going to get an upgrade at right guard. It's kind of the way I think about it. you are not going to get probably, you know, it could be wrong, but you're probably not going to get an average quality right guard. You're probably just going to get an upgrade over, over a really bad situation last year. Um, so there's that, um, my, when I did kind of a deep dive into Ed Ingram, just in terms of, you know, the on-field stuff, I didn't come away remarkably impressed with what he was able to do, you know, and you talk to LSU fans and they're like, well, he was, you know, their best offensive lineman last year. It's like, well, yeah, I agree. You know, LSU didn't have a good offensive line last year. That's not helpful. Right. (laughs) like, uh, yeah, I, he he has a long way to go. He's got this unusual combination of strength and athleticism that doesn't really fit what we traditionally think are really good fits for what this Viking scheme is. And it, it seems like it's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, and you can't really put him into a position where he's going to be you know, this remarkably successful guy based off of a particular trait that he has. Uh, and you really kind of hope that that whole package comes together, which to me screams that he's going to need a little bit of development in order to kind of refine himself technically. Um, and so uh, I, I would expect Jesse Davis to win. I would expect that that's going to be an upgrade for the Vikings. I would expect it's still a liability overall when you go up against, you know, your your Kenny Clarks and, you know, whoever else is on the schedule. That's as scary as Kenny Clark.
1: Hmm. I've got a um, schedule. I, I've got a stat. Kenny Clark will show up. Uh, <laughs> I've got a stat that will get you all heated up, even if it's already summertime, which is that uh, Jesse Davis in 2018 ranked 33rd in pass blocking as a full-time right guard. No Vikings right guard outside of Joe Berger in 2017 has ranked in the top 40 among guards other than 2017 since uh, 2015. So basically like the last seven seasons, it's been one above the top 40. So Jesse Davis 33rd several years ago. Four years ago, Yeah. yeah. Now we're talking below uh, average and also clear upgrade <laughs> <laughs> yeah right you know something that came to mind to me when you're having this conversation is um because i've seen you know the same stuff as you have about like dolphins fans being like why would anyone want this football man and uh weirdly colts fans saying chris Reed oh they awesome love chris Reed. they love him right yeah so there's a part of me that's an expectations thing i think So the PFF, you know, that's true, but the PFF grades are not a lot different though. It's not, it's like both of them say, Uh, (laughs) but uh, like, do you believe in fan bases is sort of a thing. And I think when it comes to quarterbacks, I would absolutely say no, because fan bases can be psychotic about their quarterbacks see like Raiders fans who think Derek Carr is better than Mahomes or whatever. People are just nuts about quarterbacks. But I do think that if fans are paying close enough attention to know who Chris Reed and Jesse Davis are, then they might have a good feel for what those guys looked like in the context of their actual team, because the PFF grades don't really tell us that much other than they just say supremely average. So there's maybe something there. Like I think of it as maybe there's another data point for certain things of like what the people that watched every snap of them game after game after game of the last few years, the biggest fans thought about those players. And uh, the other part would be that sort of intrigues me just a tiny bit is that when Garrett Bradbury had to miss a day, it was a minicamp or OTAs. Chris Reed was the one who took a lot of like, or it wasn't him. I think it was Austin Schlottman. Actually Schlottman missed some time and Chris Reed moved over and played center and sort of it pinged in my mind of like Chris Reed center. Like, I don't know. Like maybe there's, there's something there. Uh, As far as Ed Ingram goes, I, I put him, yeah, very distant in this battle just because I know how hard it is for offensive linemen. Like understanding all the past protections alone in your first year is so incredibly challenging that these two veteran guys are just going to be so far ahead of him that I think it's very tough, but also at the same time, you sort of go, you drafted him that high. Are you, you know, you're going to play these other guys instead, huh? Like, that's what, you're, that's what we're doing here. Like, I, I don't know. Like, so I, I guess I go back and forth of like, if you were going to fill this spot with cheap veterans who are past starters, then why did you spend a second round draft pick on somebody? So now we talk about those rookie contract things like, all right, well, you're burning a year of a rookie contract for a second round draft pick. That could have been someone else who could have contributed to you to play Jesse Davis. Like, uh, okay. Um, So it is, there is a lot of typicalness to this. Well, he didn't actually play right guard except for the one time when he was 18, which sounds promising, but like, and, oh, well, he was a tackle, and his fan base couldn't stand him, but now he's a guard. So, th- <laughs> like, these sounds similar. But the one thing I would say is different about the right guard competition is just that there are several people who have a chance to be at least average. And when you're talking Ole Udo versus Dakota Dozier, there is, there is no light. There is, there is no future. It's like you, you, you just – there's no hope. You are off on an island in the middle of the ocean. The sharks are circling and you're about to die. And that's what happened at right guard last year. Um, I don't I don't see that. I see like you're still off in the ocean floating around, but like maybe you can see some trees in the future uh, that is possible. So this analogy's already gotten away. From those me. are those are final thoughts. And the <laughs> trees Holy have, you know, by the way, still on the roster. Fruit
2: uh yeah but at tackle right competing, yeah competing with that, like yeah? Vidarian Lowe to be the swing tackle and Blake Brandl Viderian but Lowe. I just real quick I'm glad do Matthew, you brought up Don't the do that. rough I'm glad you brought up the I'm ignoring whatever just happened I'm glad you brought up the Chris Reed like fan base thing because like truthfully that's a big reason why I've kind of been high on him it's just and it wasn't just Colts fans I saw a lot of Colts writers writers who obviously know the game extremely well as we all do because right, yeah, all, of course. we're all geniuses the true experts yeah mm-hmm. the true experts yeah coaches no it's writers um they they were on him too and they they really thought that he did well in the context of what he was asked to do and and being thrust into certain situations so that's why basically that's my entire reason almost um more so than watching much film or like looking at numbers or anything why I think he's somebody to maybe keep in mind in that conversation with with Davis. Let, I think me, it'll probably be one of let those. Let me say two, this about but... the
0: Chris Reed fan base thing. And this is not to dump on Chris Reed, but Jesse Davis has been with one team until the Vikings. This is uh, one, two, three, four. This is his. This is Chris Reed's fifth team, right? Like, yeah. if he's really that fantastic, you know, I don't know, like, why Jacksonville or Carolina or Miami one of the teams that decided they didn't want maybe him,
2: figured it out in Indy last didn't. year. And I then, mean, it could be know, the
0: case. Though. Right. But right. Exactly. So, um, so there's that. Uh, the second thing is Miami fans have watched Jesse Davis um, play the starter role for consecutive years, right? Like he, uh, over the last three seasons, he's played over 3000 snaps. Chris Reed has played 500 snaps because he was a fill in as a backup guard that, um, they were worried about like the Colts were worried about their depth along the offensive line because they faced, you know, a sudden retirement. Right. And they had to move some people around and then they had an injury. And so they had Chris Reed come in and play. And so the expectation was that that, that would be a disaster. And it wasn't, he played, you know, I think better than most backup guards play. Jesse Davis was asked to play a starting role uh, in part because they drafted like Austin Jackson for some reason, right? Like they they just <laughs> they didn't have tackles. And so, uh, you know, Jesse Davis is playing like left tackle, right tackle, Liam Eikenberg's not ready, you know, all of that stuff. And so he starts out as the starter, right? And so they see him for 3,000 snaps, and the expectation is that he plays to a starter level. The expectation for Chris Reed was that he plays, um, you know, to a backup level, and he exceeded that. Whereas, uh, you know, Jesse <laughs> Davis... This is why that it's good to have you on here be because
2: back. you were you were unfortunately bringing a lot of logic and reason to the discussion <laughs> so that I, I was not bringing. So it's a good balance,
1: I think. I, I have a I have a great comparison for this with quarterbacks. Those like Tyler Huntley, where people were like, "Yes, well, perfect. he can actually like competently do something. Like he needs to be our franchise quarterback." And you're like, "Folks, <laughs> friends, yeah, well, relax." My, and when everybody Mark, loves when the Mark Sanchez. Backup, took yeah. over yes, the Eagles
0: 80%. when, uh, like, for the three games under Chip Kelly, Mark Sanchez just put together some games, just, but everybody was so happy with him. And then his contract was up and everyone was like, is anyone going to sign him? No. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's fine. We're fine. Right. Because we saw him both as a backup where he was fine in the constraints of a particular system and he impressed everybody. And also as a starter where he did not do that. So I, that's, you know, if Chris Reed is your chip Kelly, Mark Sanchez era uh, (laughs) guy, you're fine. That's what you want. And that's the context. I think the Colts kind of saw him in. Right. But you know, Jesse Davis is just like, yeah, we've
1: Kevin Cobb right. To keep with the Eagles. Right. We've got Kevin Cobb. It's fine. It's fine. But I told you guys this conversation would be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this lived up to the hype.
2: (laughs) This has been really fun. I think we, I think we can wrap it up here. And it is very getting rapidly, very hot in my apartment because I turned the AC off. So there's no noise in the background. So I'm gonna go blast that at like 65 degrees for a while and sit right in front of it. But yeah, this has been great. Uh, as I said earlier, nothing I would rather do in the middle of July than than talk Vikings right guards with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, this is good. This is good. You, just you wait. I'm gonna be vindicated on my Kyle Hinton take sooner rather than later.
1: Man, We're every that, is... that one. Kari blasting game worked out great for you. Hey, he got picked up and he started games. I think that's that's pretty that's good. That's what for I'm breakfast. saying. I yeah. wasn't kidding. Yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> you um, thanks, thanks so much, guys. This was a lot of fun. All right, man. Thanks for having me.